the world is going through changes. Changes happening at a speed that we have never seen before. This is leading to disruption, chaos, panic, fear, hysteria, and a turbulent economy and marketplace. How do you protect your wealth in a turbulent world? How do you invest for cash flow and alternative assets to escape the rat race in times of uncertainty? How do you decentralize yourself, your family, your community, your business, and your investments to become sovereign and escape the matrix? If you are looking for strategies, tactics, and techniques to escape the rat race and matrix, you are in the right place. My name is MC Lobsher, and this is Cashflow Ninja. This is Cashflow Ninja. I'm MC Lobsher. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode and spending most valuable resource your time once again with me. Everything Cashflow Ninja is at CashflowNinja.com. CashflowNinja.com. We've got three podcasts. Cashflow Ninja, Cashflow Investing Secrets, and Reset Investing Secrets, all at CashflowNinja.com. You can also sign up for a monthly newsletter, the best Cashflow Niches newsletter, in which I share one brand new, well-researched Cashflow niche. That's every single month. And you can join Cashflow Nirvana, our mastermind that was created for business owners and investors that's looking to protect and build wealth during turbulent times on CashflowNinja.com. I've got a fantastic show for you today. I'm joined by Jeremy Roll. Uh, Jeremy is a passive cash flow investor. Um, I've known Jeremy for years now. He's been on the show before sharing his knowledge and insights as a passive cash flow investor. I would highly recommend you listen to our previous conversations. He always provides a ton of value and just great insights. I always learn something from him. Uh, Jeremy, it's great to see you. Thanks for having me back on. I really appreciate it. I was actually really looking forward to this. I haven't seen you in a while. And uh I know you do great shows and you've been doing this for a long time. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, same here, my friend. And as I mentioned in the intro, um, I've done some shows in the past with Jeremy Roll. Just go to cashflowninja.com. Every single piece of content we've done together, I've learned something. Um, and there's just so much value in there if you're an investor and especially if you're a passive investor. Um, Jeremy, for folks that are not familiar with you, um, can you just share a little bit about your background? Uh, you're the passive investor guy, but just what a little bit about your background and what you're up to these days. Sure. Yeah, I'll try to make it quick. So uh, I'm originally from Montreal, Canada. I grew up there for half my life, came down to the U.S., uh, did an MBA over at the uh, University of Pennsylvania at Wharton School and spent over 10 years in the corporate world. And the long story short is after the dot-com crash, for anybody who's old enough to remember that back in the early 2000s, I was sick and tired of the stock market due to the volatility, but also the lack of predictability for my long-term retirement account. Um, and I'm a really low-risk, slow and steady guy, so I wanted more predictability, less volatility. So I started to invest in these alternative type of assets. I started with real estate in 2002, and I eventually rotated all my money from stocks and bonds into cash flow and, and with a more predictable focus for that. That was the whole point for me. 
And so I actually got out of the corporate world in 2007 from the cash flow. So I call myself a full-time passive cash flow investor, which I've been since 2007, so over 15 years. But I've been doing this type of investing over 20 years um, since 2002. Uh, and that's all I do full-time now. I look at both real estate and non-real estate stuff across a lot of different things. And um, yeah, I know we're going to get into some of that today. Yeah. So um, the first thing I want to talk about is um, what you're seeing in the uh, just out in the economy markets and with particularly uh, focusing on cycles um, because, you know, there cycles there. It's funny. Somebody asked me the, um, it was last week about cycles. Like, do you like, are you, do you believe in these cycles? Is that part of kind of like your investment uh, kind of like hypothesis, hypothesis or thesis? And I said, well, you know, the sun comes up and it goes down. That's kind of a cycle. Every, every four, you know, seasons, there's four seasons, the weather changes every, you know, every year and it kind of repeats itself. And with investing, um, history doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme, as Mark Twain would say. Uh, you know, um, what is your take on again the economy, markets, and what would what is your view on on the current cycle and and what you're seeing there? Absolutely. So you know, it's funny you mentioned cycles because I'm a I'm a passive cash flow investor. So everything I do is passive. Someone else is managing it. I don't really have control. And if somebody said to me what are the top two or three things you could do to protect yourself as a passive investor? Clearly due diligence, trying to determine who you're making a bet on, how it's been underwritten the business plan. Another one that comes to mind immediately is economic cycles and staying on top of that. And that's actually the one piece um, that I feel like a lot of passive investors, they may not have the time to do, fully do it, but I feel like a lot of people ignore that. And so, um, and, and, you know, I maybe ignore is a strong word, but they're not on top of it to protect themselves looking at a deal that might be going for five or 10 years and where we are in the cycle today. So I'm not a financial advisor, investment advisor, accountant, attorney. So it's just my perspective as an investor. I personally believe, you know, we're recording this in September of 2023. Personally, I think there's a very high probability of a recession due to a lot of different indicators. Uh, I'm That's what I'm expecting. And so I'm mostly on the sidelines waiting for that potentially to happen. Um, I feel like we've had one of two dominoes fall at this point in what would be, you know, where we're heading. The first, which is obvious to everybody now, interest rates went up substantially and that has adjusted asset prices, right? It's reduced the multiple people are able and willing to pay. And that has brought asset prices down in this non-institutional alternative real estate and other type of opportunity world a lot. Um, and that's kind of domino number one. But I think a lot of people don't seem to be focusing on domino number two, which is recession. And the typical recession playbook that follows is revenues go down, vacancies go up. And what's interesting is that with revenue down, we're still in an inflationary environment. You should anticipate expenses continuing to go up at a good clip. And that means that the net operating income or the profit from that property will likely be lower in a year than it is today, probability-wise, assuming we have a recession. If that happens, then anything you invest in today at this time will be worth less in a year. But in my opinion, it will be worth a compounded less because I think that we're going to have a lot of fear when we have a proper recession. Like we normally, it's a typical recession playbook, less people willing to invest. And that means less investors, means less demand, means uh, lower multiples that the people who are willing to pay will be willing to pay. So now you have a lower multiple than today um, com compounded with a lower profit and the building's worth even less. And so there's a very big asset price risk right now, even though we've seen asset prices adjust pretty substantially. I think there's another domino to fall. So a lot going on. I think a lot of risk out there. And I think that patience is imperative because in this world, 
things move very slowly, unlike the stock market, and that patience is absolutely imperative. What are you seeing with liquidity too? Because that's, I would say, that's almost like the trifecta, right? The third thing that I, uh, yes. uh, that, that I would throw out there is you're starting to yeah. see that dry up too, which is uh, quite alarming. Yes. Yeah. And so here's what's interesting. You, see, you hear a lot of people say there's so much money out there, right? There's so much money on the sidelines. Two things to consider. First of all, there's always a lot of money at the end of the cycle until there isn't. And that's caused by fear, people taking losses, et cetera. So that's number one. But number two is that I do agree there's a lot of money on the sidelines from an institutional perspective, but that money doesn't get deployed into this, into this side of the fence. This is the non-institutional side. Money on this side has actually dried up by a factor of about 30 to 50%, and in some cases more, um, all the way up to two-thirds, depending on the sponsor, the investor group, how much they can raise. So it's a very common uh, and actually just a fact to say that if someone's trying to raise money today for a non-institutional opportunity, they could probably only raise about half or possibly less than they could a year ago, okay, a year and a half ago. That is a huge, huge challenge because I think that's going to get worse before it gets better when we have peak fear during a recession. And so that's what I was referring to before. That creates a situation of a lot less capable buyers where prices will likely go down from here. And uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask you too, uh, we talk about the non-institutional world because that's what we we operate in, right? The non-institutional alternative asset world. But you're looking at one um, factor that you share, the interest rates which is just going and it seems like it's going until something breaks and that's yes. going to happen in the institutional world. And we started to anybody's looking at debt, which as an, a real estate investor and an investor, if you're not looking at debt, you're missing a very, very big part of uh, what you should be looking at. One of the most important things, right? Real estate is debt. What's going on debt. If you look at TLT, um, it's getting absolutely that is smashed. Huge. Oh, it's horrible. Yeah, I looked at the chart today. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So bonds are imploding with these interest rates that just keep going up and uh, are, are, are so high. And to um, bring that into the context for folks, you know, institutions, whether it's banks, whether it's hedge funds, whether it is sovereign wealth funds, uh, whether it's insurance company like companies, you, I mean, pick your institution these are your a lot of these folks are players in the in the bond market, and that's already. I mean, we've already seen banks go on five, right? Five already this year. I think I've lost count. First Republic, I think, is the fifth one. We've got ten that just got downgraded. Eleven on a watch list. Uh, so there's and and I mean, the regional banks have got mac a very big exposure to real estate, commercial real estate, which we could talk about that in a second too, but. Just a comment on what you're seeing with the bond market and debt, which, I mean, real estate is debt. Yeah, yeah. And so to be fair, when I answered that previous question, I, I dealt with the equity side, right, which is important, yeah. but there's also the debt side. And so one other thing that's happening, which is kind of a tailwind, sorry, headwind for investors is that um, there's less people willing to lend on acquisitions. And those who are, are typically lending under stricter guidelines, whether it's a lower loan to value or other covenants. And so what, what that means as well is that the, the debt terms are not as favorable as they were for investors, compounded by the fact that um, you know prices have only adjusted one domino so far. We still have a really fascinating to me, which is some deals that are going negative leverage, which is what was just killing me for the past two or three years watching that. And now uh, I've, I've seen some positive leverage deals, but not nearly enough to make me feel comfortable with that spread. 
Um, and I do agree that the probability is that, um, well, one thing's for sure, there's a higher probability of interest rates going up versus down in the next three to six months. That is for sure. Um, or sideways, but it's probably not going to come down for a while. And so as, as a prudent investor, again, there's a, that's another reason to kind of sit and wait for just a little bit to see what happens, right? Except for unique opportunities, there's always unique opportunities out there too. So, um, so debt situation is not favorable for investors. Equity situation is not favorable for anyone trying to acquire. And here we have a challenge uh, in terms of buying stuff at very high prices still. I want to take a moment to share something very important right now. Are you trying to figure out how to protect your savings from the banking collapse, which has already started, and the coming financial crisis. Most banks will fail. Deposits that are not insured by the FDIC will be lost, and there will be bank bail-ins. And this collapse in the banking system will lead to chaos in the financial system. Banks also provide loans to real estate investors. So what do you think is going to happen to lending in the event of a banking and a financial crisis. You can be proactive and position your savings to protect it and also have access to it to use it to buy discounted assets by positioning it in your own banking system through the infinite banking concept strategy. Producers Wealth has put together a presentation at yourownbankingsystem.com where you will learn how to position capital outside of the banking system and the Wall, Wall Street casino, just like the ultra-wealthy, to protect it and create a pool of tax-free liquid capital to capitalize on the massive opportunity to buy discounted assets, which is coming. You can access the presentation at yourownbankingsystem.com. That's your own banking system.com. And then, of course, the fear uh, of the commercial real estate uh, bust, which is now, I mean, it's here. Um, it's, so it's that's going to it's, it's impact unfolding. it too. Yes, 100%. Um, what's happened, which is interesting, is that multifamily has kind of front run a little, little bit of the decline in pricing at about 25 to 30% thus far on average, right? And, and by the way, we've eked out a few more percentage points in the last month or two as interest rates have really come up in the last month or two in terms of the lending costs. Um, but some of the other asset classes, I think, are eventually going to catch up. Um, office, retail, they've taken a hit, but not necessarily quite as bad as multifamily. And I think they're going to catch up. Same thing with mobile home parks, self-storage, et cetera. So um, that's why I keep saying we've seen one domino fall and we've seen each asset class react. But we haven't gone through the recession yet. And that's when you see the other domino fall. And I mean, couple everything with the fact that typically during a recession, we will finally have a stock market proper crash. Um, that's what's really going to be the last draw that will remove a lot more liquidity from the market. Banks, by the way, have a very, there's a high probability of hundreds of banks failing. This is purely based off of enough time combined with that interest rate differential between where we were two years ago and where we are today and where we might still be heading tomorrow. Right. And uh, with the Fed saying higher for longer, that stresses the banks even more. The banks are using the emergency um, lending mechanism the Fed has provided 
but that's at very high 5% interest rates that they cannot afford. It's a temporary lifeboat, but basically you're getting into a lifeboat that's literally losing air all the time, and eventually it's going to sink. And so um, I do think we're going to see hundreds of banks fail. And that's just from a probability perspective in terms of what normally happens in this, if you look at past cycles that were similar. And so that's why I keep saying there's a lot still ahead. Um, And, um, you know, there's a lot to be careful with right now. And I just want to be clear, too, for folks, this is not, number one, fear mongering. This is not uh, like, oh, the world is coming to an end. What we're talking about is looking at what is and talking about cycles. You know, if you look at the past, I don't know, we could go back like just to the 2000s, you had the dot-com bust, right? And then you had 9-11. And then you had obviously a great run in real estate, uh, which kind of like top end of 2006, I would say, like like maybe a little bit of a run into 2007. But eventually, that cycle came to an end. And the smart money got in, like I would say after 9-11 around there, Right. Uh, when assets, asset prices were very, very low, that's where the professional investors come in. Um, you know, and people have heard all these things, buy low, sell high, buy when there's blood in the streets. You know, when the opportunity is when the asset uh, uh, is undervalued, that's when they go in and they sell at the 2006, you know, to early 2007 and they're out. And then what happens? Well, the majority of the public storm storm in. It's the uh, the 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 euphoric phase, um, and then you yes. have a then you have a massive massive bust, which happened. What you know, kind of. There's a lot of things happening, which is similar to 2008, 2009. We believe in what is the 2008 earlier. You had Bear Stearns go down around March, April ish. And yes. then everything was kind of like simmering. And then October of 2008, you had your Lehman moment. And then you had went into 2009 and that the crisis was, was, in, was in full swing. Um, and then asset tr- uh, prices just went down and down and down, bottomed kind of like 2011, beginning of 2012. The smart money was out, as I mentioned, 2006, 2007. Then the smart money comes in back again. Buying low again, they sold high and positioning themselves. And then they ran it up to what 2012 to I would say 2022 is kind of like peak. A lot of smart money went out. Um, and now we're just going through that exact same cycle. So this isn't, you know, I don't want people to misconstrue this as you know, fear or panic or negative. It's it is just cycles and there's opportunities throughout the cycle any comment on just uh you know uh what i just shared yeah first of all it's really important to understand that real estate moves very slowly and so we're it's a multi like you know depending on the market it was a five to seven year peak to trough situation uh until 2012 uh from 05 to 07 as a peak um and so it takes a long time i mean we're as um mc just said you know, if you look at the peak, maybe being when interest rates just started to go up in early, very early 2022, we're not even two years in yet, right? We're like a year and a half in yet on a very long process. So what, what MC and I are doing is uh, trying to be prudent investors. We're not trying to fear monger, of course. We're just taking historical data and trying to use probabilities, therefore, to make the best decisions we can. I think one important thing to note, though, is that despite all of this, there's always unique opportunities out there. It's much lower volume. And so I speak for myself. I'm not not that I'm not investing. I'm just investing less, and I'm investing and in being very picky and investing in very unique things. But on the sidelines, for the normal average run of the mill stuff, 
because they're, they will have their time and day at some point. You just have to have a lot of patience. Yeah. And you do different things during different parts of the cycle. So as you mentioned, yes. you would be very aggressive in 2012 uh, into deals um, and deploying as much capital as you possibly can. And then when you, uh, you know, obviously you keep investing up in the cycle, but you went, I mean, you really went all in at the bottom and then you continue to invest and eventually you start to take some chips off the table and eventually exit at a certain point. And you can never time these things. I mean, it's it's almost impossible to time. I mean, if 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 you hear people say they time it perfectly, I mean, then they have a crystal ball. Sometimes you're out too early. Sometimes you're out just a little bit light, meaning that there was a dip, not all the way down, but at least you got up, but you didn't exit at the top. So you just go out in a in a time period where you're comfortable, um, but you that like you said, there's still some opportunities out there for folks to uh, to do deals. It's just a little bit different than what you did when asset prices were really undervalued, right? Yeah, and I want to be clear: like the stock market, it's almost the opposite because it goes so quickly that if you wait, if you're too late, then you can really miss a lot of run up. It's almost in some sense better to be too early. But in real estate, it's better to be too late than too early. I'd certainly rather be too late than too early because when you have that run up, um, you know, going for years after, it just it doesn't happen. You're not going up except for the pandemic and stimulus money. You're not going up 30 percent in a year typically. And so, you know, it, it, that's why I keep reiterating you want to have patience because it's better to be late than be early. And once we hit the trough, you're going to have plenty of time to get back in and years to kind of benefit from the wind at your back. And what I would also say is using, uh, just talking about the cycle again, when uh, when uh, it bought it bottoms, like let's just go say uh, 2012, you know that is where the real estate market bottomed out. That is yield chasing. You're aggressively going in there now, and you're on the attack. Um, and then you still attack, but you know your defensive your defensive plays come in too. And then there's a part in the cycle where you switch to playing more defense than offense. Um, yes. And I would say, like, right now, capital preservation is number one. Preserving and protecting capital should be a priority of every investor before yield chasing. But at the bottom of the cycle, yield chasing and, and is, is a priority above capital. You should always protect your capital. But I'm, what I'm saying is you're more overly aggressive at that point. So it just depends where you're at. So the really, really smart investors, which I like to look at exactly what they're doing, they have money on the sidelines, they're building up cash positions, they're protecting their capital so that when they see the opportunities present themselves, they're going to be they're going to be in there pouncing. Yeah, I want to point out, too, that um fascinating thing. So I think of a cycle as, you know, a plane train trying to take off on a runway. And if you're starting at the beginning of the runway, the beginning of a cycle, you have a lot of time to course correct, get your speed up and do things you need to do to get off the ground. And you can even stop if you, if you need to and probably come to a full stop before the end of the runway if you need to, right? Because you've got that full runway. And that's the beginning of a cycle. And what's so fascinating is that that means you can take the most risk at the beginning of a cycle. Because if you have the wind at your back, rents are going to naturally go up. The, the economy is going to naturally go up. And you have a lot of years to, to make course corrections. End of a cycle, you're at the end of the runway and you, you have the most risk because you have the shortest runway to take off 
with the highest probability of some type of problem or accident, you may not be able to stop in time and you're off the runway. And I want to just liken that to the opposite of what you actually see in deals often. So most people don't, most investors don't realize the past investors. So if you just rewind back two or three years ago, what did we see as investors? Almost every deal I saw had floating rate bridge loan debt associated with it for apartments, for example. I didn't invest in one of those. But the problem with those is that they have the highest risk because they're short, their short timeline where you have to sell by a certain period with bridge loans. They have floating rate risk, which increases your risk because of the uncertainty where interest rates are going to go. And yet, why is that happening at the end of a cycle? The only reason why it's happening is because sponsors themselves pivot through the cycle to be able to create performance that have high enough returns to attract investors. That is very important to understand. So at the end of a cycle, when prices are highest, as a sponsor, you can't buy a 100% occupied building that's stabilized and just cash flowing because the returns will be too low and investors' IRRs will be too low projected, and you're not going to find investors. Investors are going to be looking for the higher IRRs. They're only going to be found in heavy value-add deals, and that's actually exactly what was happening. And what's fascinating about that is that that's the highest risk time to be doing those deals, and yet it's when you see the most of them as investors because they're conforming to marketing materials and projection requirements by, by sponsors to raise capital. When you look at the beginning of a cycle, that is the best time to do that deal because like I talked about before, you have the most runway to course correct, you have the win at your back, et cetera. And, and I think a lot of investors get caught up in just looking at a business plan, but not thinking about how it plugs into where we are in the cycle and whether it actually makes sense to do or not, regardless of how the numbers look on the paper is where we are, where, where are we in the cycle? And um, Again, like I said before, a lot of investors don't tend to follow the economic cycle and determine where we are. And I think that's really good. It's actually, I spend two to three hours a day reading real numbers every day, trying to figure out what's going on, get out of the weeds of the media. And, and I'm going to give you some real quick examples of really important data to consider. Number one, soft landing. I mean, how many times have you heard and read about that in the last year? Okay. It's a, it's yeah. a purposely thing. It's a purposeful thing that's put in by the Fed and the government to try to get that narrative going. Okay. It happens every cycle. But would you believe me if I told you that the Google searches on the term soft landing actually were higher at their peak in 2009 than they are today? Okay. And it happens every cycle. So that's crazy, right? But that's yep. just a fact. So soft landing is a narrative that's out there, not necessarily the likely most probable event if you look at history, right? That's number one. Number two, people are usually blown away by this stock market crash. When does the stock market normally crash when we're in the middle of having a reset and a downturn? It normally happens one to three months after the first rate cut. Okay. So what that tells you is that when people say to you today, everything's great, stock market's going well, there's no problems, people are employed, et cetera. No, this is actually the normal part of the cycle we're still in. So if you actually look at what happens just predictably each time, that's typically what happens. And so we wouldn't expect to see the stock market to be any lower yet because it's following typical playbook. Another thing from the from the first month that the Fed typically starts to raise rates into the end of a cycle to slow down the economy, the on average, unemployment starts to go up 18 months later. Okay, What does that mean? September of 2023 now is on average when it would start to go up. It could be later, it could be shorter. So all these stories about whole year, employment's great, the economy is going along, no problem, we're going to get a soft landing or no landing. We have what's going on, the economy is fine, employment's fine. That's actually normal and to be expected. But unless you do all this research and you follow along with the data, you wouldn't know that. And you would think, oh, we're not going to have a recession, et cetera. No, 
In fact, we saw unemployment rate tick up from 3.5 to 3.8% in the last month. That's substantial. And what's also interesting is that once you have more than a 50 basis point increase in unemployment going into the end of a cycle, every single time in the past, you've actually had a recession. Talk about no landing. So we're almost already there with that indicator. But my point is that now is when you're going to start to see this piece of the puzzle fall into place. Jobs are going to start to come down in terms of the unemployment rate going up. And we're going to go through the rest of the typical cycle. So I'm mentioning all this because it's so important to stay on top of this and, and get out of the weeds of the media, protect yourself as an investor. So again, I'm giving you this objective data. These are not like my opinions. This is actually what I research and find to guide me because I don't want you to think we're fear-mongering, even though we're talking a lot of negative stuff right there, uh, right now, uh, because MC and I are just trying to be as smart as possible to be as protective as possible for ourselves. It's not fear-mongering. It's actually based on actual data. I want to acknowledge one of our sponsors. Are you ready to ride the wave of success in the booming car wash industry? Tommy's Express Car Wash is the cutting-edge brand that is revolutionizing the way we clean vehicles. Demand for top-notch, state-of-the-art tunnel car wash is skyrocketing. Institutions are diving in headfirst, and the real asset investor is already a step ahead. They have a world-class operations team, and they're building a portfolio of Tommy's Express car washes that's on track to become one of the largest privately-owned car wash portfolios in the United States. The margins on a stabilized Tommy's Express car wash are incredible, and accredited investors have the chance to join them on their adventure. Dave Zook, the founder and CEO of The Real Asset Investor and his team, are thrilled to share opportunities like Tommy's car wash with accredited investors that boost your cash flow, unlocks massive tax benefits, and get you set up for a lucrative exit just a few years from now. To learn more about the opportunities offered by The Real Asset Investor, you can reach out to them at info at therealassetinvestor.com. That's info at therealassetinvestor.com. There's a ton of new investors in the alternative asset space, and they find podcasts such as the Cashflow Ninja. And that's why I want, you know, I appreciate you sharing that because I want to put this information out because a lot of people say, all right, I'm ready to invest now and ready to go. And they're very excited, just as we all were when we first started in the space. And this is, you know, what I'm, what I'm trying to uh, share you with Jeremy is just it's time to pump the brakes and just figure out where you are before you do anything and understand that the professionals, the, the professional investors are now more defensive than offensive. They're more interested in preserving, protecting capital than just running in and, and investing. Um, and there is some stormy clouds ahead. And this could be very exciting if you're well positioned for it. Because this is the best time ever to um, to go out and buy uh, assets uh, that are undervalued. I mean, people get excited about Black Friday, right? Because, I don't know, a pair of sneakers are all 50% or 80% or, or something. And people wait and they storm the stores and, you know, overpower other people just to get to those sneakers or big screen TVs or whatever. Um, but when it comes, when you talk about potential uh, discounts coming on assets ahead, you know, people say, don't, don't be so negative, you know? So, um, so it's just very important. So for, for new investors out there for, you know, 
investors that's already on their journey, for folks that are very well experienced, they they probably can resonate with everything uh, that we've shared because they've they've probably if you've if you lived through the last one, two thousand eight and two thousand and nine, you could definitely resonate and identify uh, a lot of similarities uh, out in the environment today. Yeah. Can't agree more. And I would say one of the biggest challenges I see with brand new investors, to your point, is people might call me and I I, I just take calls, try to help people, whatever. And I'm not like a consultant. I don't charge any money. And people are just brainstorming. And the most common thing I hear is, I just came across this type of investing. I'm starting to research it. I just saved up my first X amount of money. What should I, like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find something to invest in. And the question I say to them is, okay, fantastic. Stop. Your first question should be, not like I have the money and I'm ready to go. It's like, okay, is this the right time to invest? And that should be asked at any time. It has nothing to do with 2023, but it's a question I don't see a lot of people asking. And they just say, okay, I got the money. I saved the money. I spent all this time saving the money. So what do I do with it? I got to do something with it now. And I think what we're both trying to say here is that just make sure you formulate your own opinion about where we are in the cycle. And if you don't have an opinion about that, don't invest on anything until you at least come up with your own opinion about that through your own research. Yep. And um, I mean, if you if you want to go back, how many years is this ago? Two years, maybe three. Uh, but the example I'm thinking of, and I shared that, you know, there was a lot of euphoria in the alternative asset space because a lot of people found it. They're very excited. We got a lot of people raising capital and so forth. You know, an example that I could think of for folks that just in the past two or three years, I don't know which Super Bowl it was. It was the one in, was it the one in L.A.? Might have been the one in LA. The, anyway, the crypto Super Bowl with all these ads, FTX, Larry David, Matt Damon is with crypto.com and so forth. And then it was euphoric, the general public, then the lost always to run in um, goes and, oh, look at this, you know, now crypto's in the Super Bowl and Bitcoin and so forth. Well, what happened in the weeks and the months following that? That was your top. Um, and again, it's not positive or negative about crypto. Um, it's just that as a cycle too, that has an has a cycle. Um, yes, a four year cycle. Yeah. So, yeah, and I'm gonna say like in 2005, the way you knew you're at the top was you would go either your taxi driver or your barber. And I, I'm actually not making this; it really happened to me. Both cases are are talking about real estate investing, and they purchased a home to flip or whatever they're doing, right? That's the top right there because it's become so mainstream that that's the top. It, this time around, the exact same conversations were surrounding Bitcoin and uh, making money and, and all. It's exact same thing. So that's what that's why MC and I, you know, the continued message here is you can look at history and tend to apply it and help you with the probabilities of protecting yourself. Um, and uh, you want to do that at every part of the cycle, not just now where, you know, it's a little easier for us to say this now, right? It was harder for us to, to act on that two years ago. But if you just take get rid of all the other noise and look at the data, you can help to protect yourself at any time. I wish that someone had the, these conversations uh, out there that I could listen to back in 2006, 2007, 2008, and 2009. So, uh, you know, that was my first cycle. And I have no idea. I, I didn't know what I know now back then. I wish I could have listened to something something like this uh about cycles and 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 how they work and how the professional investors invest during this um a comment on the um just the state of the alternative asset world which we're in 
and we love it. It's fantastic. It's I wouldn't I wouldn't be in any other space. Um, great, great assets, great niches. I wrote a book about all the great niches. Um, great niches, amazing people that you meet, great operators, direct investment. Um, I mean, it's 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 a blast. Um, but I also wanted to state this too that we have a lot of people one uh, that they go the uh, I tell you I, I don't like to use the word traditional, but they do what everybody else does, right? The 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 Wall Street world. They go and they invest in stocks and they have a qualified retirement plan, and maybe if they have a, a broker or financial advisor managing some other stocks and stocks, bonds, and mutual funds and index funds, right? Or whatever Tony Robbins was pitching in his in his uh, money book. So you have you have that part of the world, and then folks discover the alternative asset world, and they get very very excited. That just like we all did, I did the same thing. Um, they want to dive head in first. But another thing that I just wanted to share too, and 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 get your take on it too. Just you know, I always caution folks that when you're investing money, regardless of whether it is in the Wall Street world, or whether it is in the alternative asset space world, you can lose some or all of it. You're an investor, right? You still have to con- you still have to take responsibility. You still have to um, do your due diligence, proper due diligence, vet all that stuff. So maybe just some comment on that because we have a lot of folks coming in from the normal world. Called also called the traditional world into our world, the alternative asset world. Yeah, so very good. And I think that let's give some real life examples, right? So if you invested in a typical floating rate value add multifamily, I'm not trying to pick on that today, just an easy example. Um, two years ago, in two, end of 2021, uh, you know, literally exactly two years ago today, you probably have now lost most, if not all of your equity. Most of those buildings are down 25 to 30%. A lot of those deals got done at 75% loan to value. Literally, you lost all your equity. Now, there's an asterisk. You know, what's some of the value add business plan um, implemented? Possibly. Some of the later deals, which is what I'm referring to, they just don't have a runaway enough runway to have done that. And rents are now coming down in some of the major cities, even today, uh, that those were in. And so the reality is that literally there is a lot of people who lost has now on paper have lost everything and probably not just on paper, but an actual will have lost all their equity in these deals. And only a question of two or three years in deals that didn't look, you know, they weren't low risk because they're value add, but they weren't crazy high risk. They weren't development. They were just done at the wrong timing, like we're talking about. So that's real life example. Um, I don't need to go into the examples of buying Bitcoin and everything else because that clearly is down a ton and everybody understands that. But we're not even talking about that here. You know, if you did this, I would say the average asset class on a non-real uh, real estate uh, on the non-institutional real estate side is probably down at least twenty to twenty-five percent on average, depending on the asset class. And when you're investing, the best case scenario is that you may have gone to a deal that had thirty-five percent equity, sixty-five percent leverage. There was very little that got done under sixty percent, and that's just traditionally sixty-five to seventy percent. I would call as average. And um, in some cases, 75. And if you happen to do those two years ago, you've now lost on paper most of your equity, not all of it, but most of it. Um, And by the way, we didn't even mention the worst part. The worst part is, is that if you're going in for this stabilized cash flow and predictable cash flow, a lot of those deals are now becoming distressed as a result and are actually stopping distributions. And in some cases, doing capital calls to try to keep them alive, of which a capital call is actually asking for more money to keep the building going beyond what you've already lost, which is not 
required to put in, but you will get diluted if you don't put it in typically. And so um, there's a lot of carnage going on right now. That's the reality. And uh, again, like I mentioned before, you can look at all that and say, oh, now must be a great time to invest because all that carnage is taking place. And my argument is that, well, that's a result of the first domino, but the second domino, which is a recession, hasn't even fallen yet. And so, um, you know, what that tells me is wait a little longer. The second domino will likely fall from a probability perspective and will likely be in an even better position in, in 12 or 18 months from now to really get the, the prime type of deals that, that MC has been referring to. When you look at uh, the graph, and, and people can look this up, there's a graph, it's a psychology of a market cycle, and the, it's a Wall Street one, but I like to look at that because we're all humans, and every single market is driven by psychology, so you can use and apply that one to you know, any market that you're in. Uh, to your point, what happens, and this is where experience comes in, trust me, because I've I've I caught a falling knife once in my life. It's not easy on your hands, I promise you. Um, is, yeah, you have the blood in the street moment, the depression. This is never coming back. It's done. It's over. You know, I've I've seen that in asset classes. Um, it's over. This asset's never coming back. That's the blood in the street moment. That's when the smart money comes in. Yeah. The top in that Wall Street psychology of a market cycle is euphoria. Now, the smart money is already out before euphoria. This is where everybody's now rushing in. Um, this is where, in using the Bitcoin example, remember when people were mortgaging houses uh, to buy Bitcoin in 2017, mm. that type of euphoria. Then there is an initial drop. And as like you mentioned, the first domino. And then there's kind of like a sideway mo sideways movement where you had that initial blow, the first dominoes dropped. And like you said, it's the 20 to 25% asset prices have come down. Um, and this is where sometimes young and eager investors, I was there 2009. So I got that t-shirt. Um, that's when they come in and buy, right? Not knowing because of inexperience and that there's more coming. Uh, in that cycle, the cycle has not completed itself. There's more coming. Um, and uh, this is, I think, just at a very important point, too, that it happens in Wall Street. It happens in you know the Bitcoin market. It happens in the real estate market. It happens in all of these markets. So you have the initial drop, the initial do domino. It goes sideways for, for a while, a little bit. And then there's something that triggers that ne next leg down. So investors should should be cognizant of that and understand that. So when you see this and you understand that, then you know that, okay, it's still not time yet. So patience and discipline is very important here. Yeah, and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to try to make it better than it is. Patience is very challenging and is very frustrating, okay? Because like, if you look at the last two cycles, uh, I was telling MC before we started, I was on the sidelines between 2005 and 2008. For the most part and i was telling people and i was very young at the time that we're gonna have a housing housing crash and people thought i was crazy it is not fun to be that person for four years okay until it finally materializes okay it's a long haul this time what's even crazier is that we had a record long um up cycle in the economy even if we ended it in 2020 without the pandemic it was record long already and so i've been on the sidelines and playing well i've been playing defense since the end of 2016, in anticipation of 
was ending in about 2019 and 20. And based on the indicators in the past, we would have probably had a recession in 2020 had there not been a pandemic. And when the pandemic came and all the trillions of money were printed and the stimulus was, was put in, that basically kicked the can down the road another three years that we're now into it and going. And so it's a very long, frustrating six or seven year wait, but this was obviously in very unusual circumstances. It should have been a three to four year wait like the time before. Even in that three to four years of 2017 to 20, people are making money. You're watching it happen. It's very difficult to actually implement. But the best thing you could do during that time is actually sell it to those people, right? And actually push your sponsors to sell it to those people at that timing. And I was involved in a lot of sales during that time as a result. And so it's not easy to be the disciplined person. It, it's not fun and it's not easy, but it's, it's the right thing to do long-term and it really pays off. I want to take a moment to recognize one of our sponsors, Penumbra Solutions. Live Settlements Investments have allowed financial and banking institutions to not only buy their equity contractually, but also diversify their capital from any economic, market, and geopolitical risk. It's been part of the billion-dollar blueprint followed by institutional investors. If you're an accredited investor, you can also now participate in this vehicle with enormous growth potential. You can watch an informational webinar presented by one of the premier organizations providing live settlement investments, Penumbra Solutions, at CashflowNinja.com forward slash life settlements. That's CashflowNinja.com forward slash life settlements. The password to access that webinar is Penumbra, all lowercase. I think a great movie for people to watch too is The Big Short. It, it's, yes. it's, it, it, Perfectly shows how this play out because Michael Burry, which is interesting, he's back in the news too. He's got a $1.6 yes. billion short right now against the market. I don't know what size that is of his portfolio, but he's very aggressive. Um, but the movie featured Michael Burry that saw this whole uh, housing crisis coming and collapse coming. And he positioned himself for it. But I mean, he, there was almost a time where he went completely bankrupt and belly up, right? To keep covering his uh, his short positions because he couldn't. Nobody can time this, um, but you could see it coming. So, um, and is it Warren Buffett that said doing nothing is also doing something? It's one of these guys, um, but that's well, where the well, discipl discipline comes in. Yeah, here's what's interesting. Right now, as an investor, one of the benefits of waiting is that you get. If you choose to do so, like I'm currently, I've been investing since last summer in short-term treasuries, and I typically buy them on the secondary market for a little bit higher return, and I buy them in three or four months, and I ladder them. And that's what I've been doing, and so they come up every week or two, and I just keep rebuying. And we're up at like I get, I could buy a treasury three to four months right now for over five point five percent. And by the way, that's I think federally tax-free, right? And so state tax or federal, I, I actually might be state tax. I forget which one it is. One of the two is tax-free. So. Um, it's not like you're sitting around doing nothing. You can actually still be keeping up with inflation or doing as best as possible with what's going on in the market. You could take advantage of actually what's happened with the rates going up. That being said, again, there's always unique opportunities. That I'm still investing, but it's much lower volume. But you still want to always look for the opportunities that are unique out there because they can occur at any time. Yep. Any final thoughts for passive investors, Jeremy, what they should be thinking of right now? Um no, I mean, like, I think we've hammered home the concept of the cycle. I think I'm hoping that what's going to some people will take away really rethinking, okay, I have money to deploy right now. 
what's my opinion about the cycle timing? What do I do with that? That's so critical. I think we're going to be entering a period in a year or two that's they're going to be fantastic for investors. Um, I think that if you're not careful, you could get hit by that in the meantime. Um, I feel for the investors who are having the hits already. Uh, I feel really, we were just talking about that before we started. I mean, I'm just feeling horrible. I'm seeing, I know people who either are sponsors and investors who are getting hit by all this. And it's just um, it's not fun to watch, but as an investor, um, it's going to be a better time in next year or two. And uh, very much looking forward to when that finally comes. Jeremy, you always enjoy having conversations with like-minded investors. Uh, if somebody wants to just reach out and have a conversation, you're very, very open and very generous with your with your time. Uh, how can they? Where can they find you, and how, how can they have a conversation? Yeah, absolutely. So easiest way to reach me is jroll at rollinvestments.com, which is my email. So j r o l l at roll r o l l investments with com. Don't hesitate to reach out. Happy to talk to anyone who's new just to help brainstorm. I'm not a financial advisor or anything like that, but happy to help brainstorm. And uh, anyone who's experienced, uh, if fellow investors want to network, um, I consider this all like, to me, investing is a team sport in this in this area. Always happy to network with other people um, who you know either have deals or are looking at deals. And, and, and you know, feel free to reach out for any reason. Yep. And we will definitely connect again and and have a, a different message and a different conversation at a different time when the time when the timing is right. Thank you so much again. I really appreciate you coming on uh, and just always uh, providing so much value and providing great insights uh, for all of my my audience, all of our listeners and our viewers out there. No problem. I just hope this is helpful for everybody. Thank you if you've held on to the end here. Thanks for listening. I hope it was helpful. Thank you so much to you, the listener, and our viewer for spending your most valuable resource, your time. Once again with us on the show, everything Cashflow Ninja is at CashflowNinja.com. That's CashflowNinja.com. Until next time, live infinitely. This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objectives, situation, and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.